All right, guys, welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study here at the Rick and Bubba Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. Just thankful that you uh, are with us today. Uh, if you're a first-timer, we are studying the Gospel of John. Uh, if you're searching and you found this Bible study, it is here most every Wednesday. If you have any desire to, uh, to go back and maybe hear Bible studies that you haven't heard before, maybe you'd like to say, well, today y'all are on part seven of the Gospel of John. I'd like to go... I'd like to go here and watch uh, one through six. Well, go to the YouTube channel and click on the playlist, and you'll see all of them listed there. Or you can go to uh, uh, our podcast channel, the Rick and Bubba podcast channel. You can find them there. Uh, you can also go to Burgess Ministries, uh, my last name, BurgessMinistries.com. Uh, you'll see the media button or the listen button, and you can also find it there. Now, if you go to Burgess Ministries, you can go back over you know most of the last four years that we've been here and listen to any series you would like to. We thank you for being with you. Uh, with us tonight. I'll be in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Uh, FCA is doing Fields of Faith. I'll be with Rich Wingo there tonight. Uh, covet your prayers if you're you know, catching this right now and you're like, well, I'd like to go over to see that. It'll be at Hillcrest High School tonight. They'll start feeding folks about 530 till they run out of food and, and then we'll, we'll start the, the, the evening at about 630. I'll be up somewhere 7-ish uh, bringing that message tonight. So men in here, uh, be, over pray be, in, be in prayer about that. Also, a prayer request today. I just got a text from one of my sons, he has two midterm finals that start in an hour. So we'll pray for that as well. Uh, and so, uh, because that's that's my freshman, so we certainly need to pray about that. I asked him last night, uh, so you shouldn't be concerned unless you chose to play basketball as opposed to study last night. And that's he, And then he said, which I appreciate, Dad, that's why I text, please pray for me. <laughs> so um, so we, will, we will do that today. Uh, but the good news is they did win. They did win the game. Uh, so uh, so let's, um, we'll talk about that. Other things we need to talk about, uh, Man Church for Shades Mountain Baptist Church, Birmingham. Now, I know there's different man churches that are going on all over the country, and we've got a big announcement about that coming up toward the end of the year, first of next year. Y'all keep praying about that. Uh, but uh, so Shades Mountain and our next one will be uh, October 27th this month. Uh, you can come and you can hear Kevin Ham from Gardendale First Baptist. He'll challenge us and then we'll roll into the next round of Bible studies. You can plug into another Bible study if you would like or you can remain here as we continue to go through the Gospel of John. Uh, after that, I'll be going over to Woodstock, Georgia or uh, before that on October the 20th, the Sunday before that. They're also having Man Church, uh, Johnny Hunt's church and I'm coming over to be with Keith Boggs and the folks there. Uh, they're, they're doing the Man Church program, and I'll be speaking at their man church on October the 20th. If you'd like to find out where I might be teaching or preaching, uh, you can go to rickandbubba.com or burgessministries.com, check on events, and all those that are booked for 2020 are there. Uh, so let's open up in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for today. And uh, Lord, uh, all kidding aside, I, I do pray for uh, for my sons today as they take their midterms. I pray that you be with them. Help them, Lord, to have recall. Help them to to do what needs to be done for them to, uh, to continue to to uh, have an impact for your kingdom on, on the campuses where you place them. I pray, Lord, a protective hedge around them. Uh, I pray, Lord, uh, that you'll continue to, uh, to, to sanctify them and mold them into the men that only you can make them. Uh, I pray, Lord, that uh, for, uh, for all my sons, that you would give them the greatest gift one day, if it be your will, uh, the gift of a godly woman. Uh, and I, I pray, Lord, today for uh, as we get ready to step... Um, uh, out and, and, and talk about one of the most popular uh, verses in the Bible today, Lord, that we'll learn everything that's going on here today. I uh, pray for the event tonight in Tuscaloosa. I pray that your spirit will move, and this will be one of those one of those moments when when there's 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 an Ebenezer that goes down tonight in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. That that so many lives are impacted by you that it, that it radically changed that community and the region. 
Uh, I pray, Lord, that you continue to mold us into the men that you've called us to be as we unpack your word today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. So uh, thank you uh, for, for all your continued prayers. Thank you for being here today in the room or, or watching. If you have your Bible, uh, this is pretty easy. We're going to John 3.16. So John 3.16, one of the most well-known, popular verses in the Bible. Uh, sometimes uh, when we get to the point that something becomes so easy for us to recite, I think there are times that maybe we kind of lose its meaning. Uh, I'm not saying that you're guilty of that, but I certainly can be guilty of that. So we're going to delve in and we're going to do something that I, would, you know, that, that I would encourage us always to do. Certainly, there are great verses in the Bible that stand alone, uh, and we get so much out of that, and we can use them to cling to. We can use them you know, to be uh, convicted. We can use it to be affirmed. We can use it to get encouraged. But I would always encourage us to continue to do what we've talked about for four years, and we're going to do it today. Always read all of it, because... There's a lot of people that know John 3.16, but there's not as many that know John 3.17 and John 3.18 and John 3.19 and John 3.20. And we're going to go through all of this. As a matter of fact, we're going to finish uh, the entire chapter 3 today. And the reason why you want to know, the, the first part's going to be focused on, on this, this most famous verse. The second part is going to be focused on John the Baptist and, and, and Jesus, and, and, and we're going to continue to walk through that. Uh, that'll be the second half of the study today. But let's start with, with the one that's most obvious, and uh, let's read John three sixteen through 21. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So let's, let's unpack that. First of all, you, you have to realize that, that what John is taking on, first of all, is the Jewish view of Messiah. Now, the Jewish view of Messiah was that this was a, an exclusive national king for Jewish people only. So John takes this on right out of the gate because he is saying, for God so loved the world. He didn't say, for God so loved the Jewish people. He's saying, for God so loved the world. Now, we're going to unpack here in a moment, is the Bible being inconsistent? Because we do know there's parts in the Bible, which we'll see even in this study of John, where we are told to not love the world. So we're, we're going we're to explain the difference in that today. So, so first of all, we, we know that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. So first of all, John's also offering some, some fresh insight here about God loving the world. And, and the word he's using here in the Greek is the Greek word for agape, agape love, for, for God showed agape love to the world. Now, of course, I love some of the different definitions of agape love, but, but I thought this was the best one. Agape involves the whole being, and it is motivated by concern for others. It, it extends beyond what is called for 
in this situation. Agape love exceeds what anybody could imagine in this situation. Here, here's, a, here's, a, here's a world of people. Here, here's, here's a world of sinful, fallen people. And then God says, through my, I'm going to show you through my son, my agape love is I'm going to offer love to you that you don't deserve. Here, here comes love that is coming to you that goes beyond anything that I should do for a rebellious people who have rejected me. You know, keep in mind, and we must always realize this, we should be so thankful that God is offering us, and we'll unpack this today, He's offering us an opportunity through His grace to not get what we deserve. Because you realize that God did not have to do this. He could have easily in His holiness and perfection. And we do know kind of a dicey point in the book of Genesis when He does get to a point when we become so rebellious after the fall and into the days of Noah where it's documented that God regretted making human beings. And I want you to remember that because I don't want you to get the wrong idea about this truth today. And, and there's been a lot of people who've done some great messages on this. Uh, MacArthur has done a great message on this. Piper, uh, another one who's done a great message on this. We certainly are glad that God showed us this agape love, but please don't ever confuse this, that at some point in time that God became a human worshiper. And, and I think sometimes you've got to be careful, especially in the Western church, where you almost get this sense, especially with some of the more modern praise and worship songs that have really bad theology, as if God is obsessed with us and He just, he just, just doesn't know what to do without us. Uh, you wouldn't want heaven without me. Uh, you are recklessly after me. And, 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 and you've got to be real careful with that because those two things I just said, do not, that's not God's character. God was who He was before we ever came along. And when we came along, nothing changed about God. Now, is, should we be appreciative for what he did? You better believe it. But, but if you think that, you know, it's like I talked to my mother one time about the different, you know, ways of parenting from her generation to my generation and the generation behind me. And I remember my mother being asked one time by some of the younger mothers, she said, I don't understand how you were able to do what you did, have dinner on the table every night, to have your house is spotless, and you did all this stuff while raising children. I don't know how you did that. To which my mother responded, well, I did that because our generation did not consider our children to be the center of the universe. Uh, we, we, we didn't worship our children. We loved our children, but we, were not, we didn't worship them. So what we did is when, when there, there needed to be a meal taken care of, then we gave them what to do. We watched them, and we fixed it. When we need to clean the house, we told them to go play, and we clean the house. So we, we weren't obsessed and hovering over them every minute of every moment of their day. Now, she acknowledges she didn't, also didn't have some of the dangers for her children that exist today, sadly. But overall, they're, they're, the, the difference was we weren't considered the center of the universe. Now, I went to bed every single night loved, feeling loved and protected. I didn't feel neglected. I didn't feel abandoned. I had incredible parents. I still have incredible parents. So I never felt like I missed out on anything by not being the center of the universe for my mother and father. And they also were able to function pretty good after we were gone because they never gave up on the relationship between each other. Uh, because my mother took precedent over us and my father took precedent over us, as they should have. So, so anyway, so, so what, what this is, is just our father showing his love and grace for us, his children, but do not think that God is worshiping you or me, because he's not. He's offering us agape love, which means we didn't deserve it.
So I do love this, though. It's impossible to measure the love that motivated God to give His only Son. You said, Rick, can you, can, can you make me see this, this love? I can't. I really can't. I mean, the best I can do, I mean, if you start thinking about it, I mean, I, I guess I, I think I would give my life for somebody that I loved and, and that somebody that I felt like was worthy of my love, uh, I guess. I, I know I'd give my life for my, my wife, my children. I think I would do that with no problem. But would I give up one of my children for you? That's a different animal, isn't it? Uh, so especially if you haven't really been all that good to me. Uh, but let, how about this? What if I did, and then you didn't act like you appreciated it? Now, I want you to think about that. What if one of your sons was sacrificed for me, and I, I didn't really care? It didn't really change me. I never said thank you for it. Start thinking about, about that. I mean, your sons suffered in my place and ended up saving my life. And then you, you, you kept waiting for to see, man, my son's death wasn't in vain, right? Rick, did that, did that change you? Not really. Hey, man, you know, I, I guess I appreciate you doing that. Thanks, man. Wait a minute, that's it? So when we see this, we're not trying to earn our salvation, but I think when we understand what God really did, there certainly should be a reaction to it. We, we can't earn our salvation, but see, that's where obedience comes in. And that's one of the things I think that we've really gotten, we've talked about for four years in here. Be real careful. We're certainly not talking about a, a code of conduct. We're certainly not talking about legalism. But this gift from God demands a response. It demands a response. I think if you haven't responded to it in some way, shape, or form, you don't really understand it. Because it demands a response. And then that response is what you hear throughout Scripture is our obedience because our obedience is, 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 is coming from a place of, of, of thankfulness and it's coming from a place of love because we, 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 we love Him because He loved us first. So I, I love the fact, too, that one thing that we got to take away from John 3.16 is what? God did not enter a neutral world. Well... I'm going to take on human flesh and I'm going to a world where, you know, some of it's good, some of it's bad. It's kind of a, kind of a hit or miss down there. Now, what, what he did is he said, I will take on human flesh and I am coming to a condemned world. It's not neutral. Nobody's good. You've heard me say that before. Why do bad things happen to good people? Where are all these good people? Where are they hiding? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, where, where are these wonderful people I keep hearing so much about? Uh, I, I, I'm not one. I mean, when, when, when I look around, I see people pretty self-involved, pretty unforgiving, pretty bitter, uh, sometimes not trustworthy, um, you know, self-loving, self-serving. Uh, I, I don't see all these wonderful people that I'm supposed to see. And as I've said before, I'm not shocked at all by God's wrath that we're going to get to here in a minute. That doesn't surprise me at all. God's wrath makes sense to me. You know what doesn't make sense? This that he would come to a condemned world that rejected him and say, I'm here to save you. That's much more perplexing than God's wrath. God's wrath makes perfect sense. People rejected a holy God and he wiped them out. You know what? And you know what? Here's the thing. Every time we watch these kind of movies, what are we always pulling for? Justice, man. I can't wait till this guy kills everybody that killed his wife. Well, I hope we don't see God that way. Because if we were watching a movie, you know what we'd be cheering for? For God to kill everybody in this room. 
Man, I hope he gets them back. <laughs> but see, that's not what he did. He offered what? And that's the reason why, which I had to be transformed on, and God's continued to transform me. Don't you ever deny people forgiveness that I didn't deny you. When, when, when you look at it that way, it, it, it's a game changer. So for centuries, and this is great, God had communicated up to this point that John's talking about. For centuries, God had communicated his compassion and salvation through the prophets. But this is what's big here. God is letting us know. But finally, the Lord God has spoken to us through the incarnation of the second person in the Trinity, Jesus Christ. Hey, I've had the prophets up to this point. I'm going to speak to you directly. I'm going to put on human flesh. And I'm going to send the second person to the Trinity. I'm coming to you because you couldn't come to me. And I'm going to communicate now directly. The time of the prophets communicating for me, that's over. And now it is a new game. You will hear directly from me through the person of Jesus Christ. So then let's look at, at verse 17. So verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that, that the world might be saved through him. So, God became a man not to come and condemn the human race, but that mankind might respond to God's salvation by accepting and believing in the revealed Son of God. So I'm going to take on human flesh. I'm going to become a man, but isn't it beautiful not to condemn mankind, but to save mankind? And, and, and we'll, we'll continue to talk about this before. You've got to get in your mind what's really going on here so you can defend it. I've been through this dealing with people. I know, and, and some of you here, I, I know for a fact you've traveled all over the world. And when you're dealing with people that have this concept in their mind, C.S. Lewis takes it on in mere Christianity, of that, I don't want anything to do with a God that would send people to hell. But the Bible says just the opposite. No, we are believing and serving and trusting a God who delivers people from hell. People sending themselves to hell. So, so, so what he says is, I'm, remember this always, and we're going to get to this before we're done today. The word Savior. You, do you all know what's in the word Savior? Save. So if, if we're in need of a Savior, then there must be something that we need to be saved from. So, so that, that's, that's what we're seeing working right here, that, that he has come to save the world, not to condemn the world. So if you are condemned with the world, it's because you rejected God's opportunity, his window of mercy and grace through Jesus Christ. And so when, when he's talking about this, this eternal life, I love this too, the Greek word for eternal life, and this is important because this is kind of what we've been hammering on in here for four years. That word that is used that I can't pronounce for eternal life in the Greek, it's emphasizing not just the life to come. This is important now. When you look at this, sometimes we, we get that nothing wrong with being heaven focused. We should be. Remember, we, and he says focus on things above. But remember, he also said, I've come not to take life, but to give you abundant life. Now, now, that's not the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Abundant life is John, John 16, 33. I say this so that you have peace. In this world, you face tribulation, but always have joy in your heart because I've overcome the world. You have abundant life because I'm giving you peace now because of salvation provided through me. But what this says is not just eternal life like to come. The Greek word emphasizes there's a present quality of life that, that, that happens to human beings as well. Something happens. Now, again, we have some false prophets that have taken this and twisted it a little bit. But if you think the things of a fallen world are the only thing that's going to give you, you know, abundant eternal life, then you have it all wrong. 
How many of you here, I hope you can say that when Jesus Christ came into your life and you, you repented and you submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ, it didn't make your life easier, but didn't it make it better? Did it make it better one day or does it make it better now? If it's not making it better now, and I don't mean better like I made more money, uh, I suddenly magically lost weight without any effort, uh, my job went great, nobody fired me, that's what I'm talking about. You see some of the most devout followers of Jesus going through pestilence all the time, but what did they say in the middle of it? Yeah, because I got Jesus, man, I consider this stuff to be no big deal. Look what Jesus has done for my biggest problem, salt. And so the eternal life that He gives us, it is certainly in the future, but it also has changed everything in the now. In the now. We're not sitting up on the mountain waiting on Jesus to come get us or to die. We're now experiencing, I think about Paul in Acts 20, 24, remember that? And he says, I don't even consider my life of any value if I don't complete the mission that I have been given by Jesus Christ to go out and preach the gospel. Man, that, that's a great life. I will tell you this. My life has more meaning now than it's ever had because I understand why I'm here. I understand what I'm supposed to be doing. This Wednesday Bible study is elation for me because I know I'm doing what God told me to do. It's not a burden. I love it. And, and so this is what he's talking about. So let's talk about the world as we move on through... through um, through 1 John 2, 15 through 17. So if you have your Bible, flip over. 1 John 2, this is the world that, uh, that Jesus is coming to save. But you've got to remember that even though that, uh, you know, we're, we're still in the world, we are no longer of the world. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. All right, so let's look at, um, uh, we're going to look at chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. And this is, I'm going to tell you why. Now remember what he just said, God so loved the world. Right? Now we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna show you that the Bible is not in conflict. What does John tell us? The same John who said, for God so loved the world. Then he jumps over in 1 John and says what in verse 15? Do not love the world. <laughs> Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Well, that's another amen. All right, so wait a minute. So John just said, for God so loved the world, and then he goes over in 1 John and says, don't love the world. Well, you have to understand what he's saying in John 3.16 and, and the verses that follow. What he is saying there is, for God so loved the people of the world. Okay, what John, see, John's clarifying that. There's not a contradiction here. No, the world and the things of the world are so wicked, we are told to not love the things of the world, but we're absolutely told to love the people of the world. So don't confuse those two. When he's talking about redemption, redemption was a human being experience. He came to save people. He didn't come to save the things of the world. All that's going to be refined by fire, going to be destroyed, going to be redone. Behold, I make all things new. But hey, I saw a new heaven and I saw a new earth. So the world and the things of the world, it's all going away. Hey, global warming is coming, but it ain't got nothing to do with carbon emissions. <laughs> Second Peter says this thing's going to be refined by fire. And I promise you, everything that you think is so important is going to burn and vaporize and mean nothing. And all you're going to have left is Jesus. So you better have Jesus right, and you better have him in the right position. So there's not a contradiction here. 
John 3.16 says, For God so loved the people of the world. 1 John 2 says, Don't love the things of the world. Everybody with me? You know, Jesus is going too with this, this first John. He'll start saying, look, the, the world hates me and anybody who loves the world, you know, doesn't love me. So those are the things of the world. So, so, so I would ask you where you are on that. Just look, do you, can you be honest and say, are you more John 3, 16? You love the people of the world. Are you more first John 2, 15 through 17? I love the things of the world. There's a big line being drawn right now, guys. Let's get this right. Be honest. Don't, don't say what you should say. I want you to really think about it. That's what these Bible studies are about. That's what sanctification's about. This is for what, what conviction's about. Look at your life right now, and all I have to do is spend time with you. Because what are we saying here all the time? I can say one thing and do another. I may not always live out what I profess, but we all uncontrollably, uncontrollably live out what we truly believe. So if you and I, I'm going to Tuscaloosa right now, if you got in my car with me and we left it for Tuscaloosa, it'll take about an hour, maybe a little more to get to Hillcrest, not much more. By the time I got there, I would know if you were 316 or you were 1 John 2, 15 through 17. You know why? Because you, you'd live it. You'd talk it out. And I'd know. Some of you are terrified that if you truly submit to God, He's going to take away the things of the world from me. And I'm here to tell you, He probably will. He might not. But he certainly might. I told you, I've had brothers do that before. And, hey, man, why, 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 are we, why are we at this impasse? You know what they'll say? I know to be in God's perfect will, he's going to take something from me. Well, then it probably needs to go then. He may let you keep it if you don't care if he takes it. Would Paul say, hey, God gives you blessings, but they got to be just like this, open hand. You know who these are? They're his anyway. I love when people, when we actually think that somehow this is our stuff. It all belongs to him. He's just letting you, you, you rent it for a while, and then, he, and then he's going to take what's valuable, and then he's going to leave what's not. So that's our first thing to think about today. So moving on, let's go to 22 through, 20, through 36, and we'll get all the way to the end here. So first, uh, well, let me finish up with the light of the world here. So we are, oh, this is a great line right here. Christians are told to love the world, but, but we are not told to love the world with a selfish love of participation. That's important. Write that down. God loves the world with, 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 a, with a selfless, costly love of redemption. But what he's telling us, we are not to love the world with a selfish love of participation, meaning we love not just the people of the world, we love the things of the world, and so much so we'd rather be participating in the things of the world, but God didn't say that. He said, no, no, I love the world not with a selfish love, I love the world with a selfless love. So, so which, which one are we? And I want you to understand when we, when we see the rest of this before we get to 22, when, 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 you, when you look at 18, when we know that he didn't come here to condemn it, he came here to save it. But look at 18. 18 tells us what happens if we reject this. And, and we, we, don't, we don't read John 3, 18 uh, through 21 as much as we do John 3, 3, 16 and 17. Here's 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. I'm going to say that again. If you reject Jesus Christ according to the Word of God, you are condemned. You're condemned. Now, you're going to be eternal, but you're going to be eternal death versus eternal life. So this is the deal. It is a gift that comes from God, but if it's rejected, it means condemnation. It's condemnation. You, you, you either be with Jesus or you'll be against Him. And if you're against Him, that means you're going to perish. 
you're going to die forever. We, we need to stop being afraid to say that. Okay, if, if we don't, if, if you reject Jesus, you're going to go to hell. Okay, that's going to happen. People you love, if they reject Jesus, they're going to go to hell. They'll be separated from God. God can't help it. He's holy. He's provided a way for you to be redeemed and made fully righteous through Jesus. Here He comes. He puts on human flesh. He comes to us. We couldn't come to Him. He goes to the cross. He pays the price, for, which means what? A price had to be paid. So if I reject that payment, then I have to pay it. You got it? I have to. God, God is just. That's why He had to come up with this, with this plan of salvation because He's holy. He can't receive us unless, unless we've been made righteous by what? The second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. And so, but I want you to understand, if you have your Bible, this is something that really blew me away. Go to Jeremiah 48. Jeremiah 48. Jeremiah 48. This is when God is telling Jeremiah to tell the people of Moab that he's going to destroy them. And it's an ugly scene. And, and he says in 48.26, talking about Moab, Make him drunk because he magnified himself against the Lord, so that Moab shall wallow in his vomit, and he too shall be held in derision. Let me go look at that, 31. There, but, but when he, and he says this, this is something. Well, first of all, jump, look, jump over to 38, and I'll come back to 31. On all housetops of Moab and the squares, there is nothing but lamentation, for I have broken Moab like a vessel for which no one cares, declares the Lord. How it is broken. But look, look at 31, though, in the middle of all this, when he's, he's, he's laying down what's going to happen to Moab. And, and judgment has come upon Moab. But look what he says in 31. Therefore I will wail for Moab. I cry out for all Moab. More than for Jazir, I weep for you. For the men, I mourn. So God, and you'll find this throughout Scripture, that was just a pretty straightforward place to look. He takes no pleasure in this. Here He is telling this Moab, you're going to be destroyed because you have rejected me. You have come against me. But He says, but I wail for you. I mourn for you. I don't take any pleasure in this. I'm just holy. And if you're not, you cannot be in my presence. You know, this goes back to what I told you, one of the most profound things uh, that my wife wrote in her book about uh, our journey to understand where God is when a two-and-a-half-year-old little boy drowns in your, in your pool at home. And, and she, she talked about this moment when she kept crying to the Lord, saying, why, why, why? Why children? Why, 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 why do children die? And she even said, which, you know, looking back, she said, I realize that what a terrifying thing I said. I said, hey, I know you gave your son, but you got him back in three days. And she said she heard so clearly from the Lord what we just read in, in Jeremiah. Well, what about my children? What, what about my children? Those that reject the salvation that I provided in Jesus Christ die and go to hell and my children reject me and go to hell all the time. What about those people? Your son is, you're going to be reunited with your son. I've made that clear. And you've seen the things that I'm doing through this. But trust me, what I'm doing was right. You don't know what was, was ahead. I knew how long your son was going to live, but when I wove him together in your womb. But where's the compassion for God's children 
that reject Him as He mourns and wails for them as they crawl across the cross and throw themselves into hell. Or they're dying and go to hell because we haven't got to them yet because we're, we're too worried about ourselves. And Sherry said, what I, I mean, I, I don't know that I've ever heard, heard about say this. She said, for the first time, I had compassion for God. I see this all the time. You know, we talk about this stuff and we're dealing with stuff that goes on within the church. And everybody seems to be so concerned about, you know, who's going to get mad? Who's going to get upset? What about this? What about this reaction? And you know what God has told me, especially when it comes to his church? What about me? What about me? This is going on in my church and you're more concerned about the, how people are going to react or, or any kind of persecution you're going to face. And you're more worried about pleasing them than you are about the fact that I'm being blasphemed. Where's the concern for God? You know, I, I, had, I had somebody call the show the other day, and they were talking about, uh, you know, that, well, you know, I just don't understand this, and I, this loved one of mine, you know, had this particular sexual sin, and they, they struggle with it, and they just, you know, and they did this, and they did that, and, uh, you know, I just don't know. And then they got upset, you know, and they got so down about it that they, that they killed themselves. You know, try to kind of blame the church for having standards that God has. And I said, man, that breaks my heart. It really does. I promise you it does. But I said, at some point, there was a time when this person had to decide, did they love God more than they love their sin? And that's, that's, not, that's not lacking compassion. That's just somewhere in this, man, we've got to start thinking about God. So, 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 so and if, you can, if you don't love God more than you love sin, in my opinion, we certainly have struggles, but I've never found a sin that, was, that, that, that gave me more fulfillment than God did. And, and what's wrong with making a sacrifice with God? So what we want is for God to be, be there for us and to offer us His grace and to give us His Son, but please don't require anything from us. What we're going to give you back, you gave us, you gave us everything. You gave us your, your most and our response is, we will give you the bare minimum. We will become grace abusers. Thank you very much for the grace. Please don't hassle me anymore. And see, there's, there's that lack of not, not legalism, not a code of conduct. There's that lack of love. There's that lack of praise. There's that lack of worship. There's that lack of thank you for my salvation. And look, then John talks about that, doesn't he? Look at 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You know what it says? The light has come. And the people who shy away from the light are the people who love the darkness. They love, they love the evil, they love their sin, and they don't want to go near the light because it'll expose it. I mean, do you realize, you think about this in 1 Corinthians 5, talking about some of the ways we handle things. We should certainly handle them gentle. We should certainly try to always be in love. But here's Paul talking about this man who's, who's committing open sexual sin in the church. And he says, you, you think that you're being so wonderful because you're not addressing this, but you have forgotten that this is blaspheming the church. And you really don't love this person. If you would take this person and actually bring the light to it and expose what is going on here, it just might save their life. But you're just letting it go on as if you love the church and as if you love this person. 
maybe, maybe, I don't know about you, until I came to myself like the prodigal son, until I acknowledged my sin, what do we said? Anything you won't call sin, you'll never change. Anything you won't call sin, you'll never change. And so this is what John's talking about. They know who Jesus is, and they know if they're doing wicked things, they hate the light, so they don't come to the light, because if they do, it'll be exposed. That's called conviction, by the way, when you stand in the presence of a holy God. What do you think about Job? Y'all have heard me reference this a lot over the last four years. He starts out, uh, you know, blameless and upright. And at the end of his sufferings, he's gotten so close to God through this suffering that God allowed clearly and laid the boundaries for. You okay with that? You okay with God's sovereignty? So God is in charge of this whole thing. He's refining Job out, who at the beginning of it was blameless and upright compared to other people of the day, but not compared to God. And so finally he gets so intimate with God and gets so in, in such a, in, in a tight relationship through this suffering that he actually sits there and hears God's resume. Who is this that would come against me? Let me tell you who I am. And as he goes through this grinding that God loved him enough to let him, let him suffer, to show that he was devout, First Peter, to test the genuineness of his faith. Guess what Job says, who was called blameless and upright at the beginning. You know what he says? Before I'd heard you with my ears, but through this suffering, I now see you clearly. I see your holiness, and I despise myself. I despise myself. You know what Job said? Compared to you, I'm not very blameless and upright at all. And he said, even though you slay me, I find my hope only in you because you forgive me. So you see, some of this, some of this has got to be our attitude of what God has finally done. And you know what we have to be able to say? You know what true repentance is? I step into the light. I step into the light. Here I am. We know we have heard the term warts and all. Hey, man, I'm here and I'm a sinner. And the light has illuminated my sin. And now that, it, that my sin has been illuminated, you know what I say? Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And he does. If we repent, he, he said, you repent, I forgive you. I love the repentant. I love them so much that I came to the world to save them. So that you wouldn't face what you deserve, and that's damnation. But don't forget, 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen what? What is the person who's been redeemed? What should they clearly see? That anything that's good about us is because of God. The only thing good about a Christian is Jesus. That's it. Apostle, Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. Somebody just nudged somebody and got some points. I bet he mentions this 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10 again. He does that all the time. You know why? Because I can relate to it. Paul says what? If you look at the light, he says, anything you see good about me, I shouldn't even be an apostle. The only thing good about me is the grace that's been shown me through Jesus. But what does he say? But that grace won't be in vain. He's going to get a return on that. And let me ask you this. So does God look at your life and look at mine and say, I offered all this grace. And what, what, what has taken place? Paul said, oh, I know that I shouldn't be here. I know I persecuted the church. I know I killed people. I should go to hell. And now Jesus has saved me. Through His grace, oh, but that grace will not be abused. That grace will never be in vain. And at the end of His life, when He said He fought the fight and He ran the race, 
I think Paul delivered on what he promised. I will receive the crown of righteousness from my Lord and Savior. I will receive that crown. And so will everybody else that has the same attitude. I wish we would make him a hero more than we do some of these sports figures and politicians and coaches. So now let's go to the 22 through 36. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and, and he remained there with them, and he was baptizing. So we know that Jesus is there with the disciples, and they're baptizing. John also was baptizing. That's John the Baptist. And it tells us where he was located, because there was a lot of water there, and, and the people were coming and being baptized. Uh, and he said, and he, then he emphasized, I like when John comes over and said, now look, some of y'all may be reading this and think that John the Baptist is in prison. He's not in prison yet. Meaning, I'm, I'm telling you about this before he went to prison for calling Herod out. He said, now a discussion rose between some of John's disciples, John the Baptist, and a Jew over purification. They're talking about the, the baptism that John was doing. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. Hey, this Jesus guy's picking up some momentum over here. <laughs> and, and that's really what they're talking about. And, uh, and so John then answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, and I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true." For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he, he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. There it is again. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. There's condemnation, but the wrath of God remains on him. If you ain't got the Son, guess what you get? Wrath. If you want to know everything about God, you can't exclude the wrath. And I think a lot of times we, we do that. Let me tell you what's true about God. His holiness, His grace, His patience. But you know what else is part of God? His wrath. It is coming. He can't help it. And we've seen this throughout Scripture. So let's unpack this. So it's clear that John the Baptist isn't in jail yet. He made that clear. We have a time period here where both Jesus and John were preaching. Jesus and his disciples in Judea. John the Baptist was at the border of Galilee and Samaria. And John's disciples and a Jew are arguing over the ceremonial washing. That's John's baptism. Uh, and Jesus, uh, Jesus' disciples who are baptizing. We'll find out later really what they're talking about here is Jesus' disciples are baptizing people, not him, because he's going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. John's followers, followers began to make Jesus' popularity uh, was, was starting to eclipse their own leader. Uh, it's difficult. You know, you've seen this before. You know, hey, this, this town ain't big enough for the both of us, that kind of thing. So it's difficult for two dynamic leaders to operate in the same area. John has already acknowledged this. Now, when John tells us he must decrease where Jesus can increase, I don't think he knows he's going to be beheaded. Which, by the, by the way, that'll solve all the confusion. But, uh, but anyway, so, so let's, let's look. John the Baptist, when this, this is basically what we're getting here. Picture this like a big time preacher today. Jesus is becoming a bigger deal than you are. Well, I sure hope so. 
And that's kind of John's attitude. Well, yeah. He, he, so, so John, first of all, he responds, and first of all, he reflects his humility like we should and our loyalty to Christ. John the Baptist is about to show us how to be a follower of Jesus, he, especially if he's giving you some responsibility. So in verse 27, he acknowledges the sovereignty of God. Look at this. He says, hey, here, here, here's the bottom line in 27. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. The only thing good about me is what God told me to do. I'm just doing what he said to do. Verse 28, he's, he has no ambition to claim credit beyond his own uh, calling. As uh, I love that when he says, all I am is the prophet who prepares the way for the Lord. Look what he said in 28. You yourselves bear, wit bear me witness that I said, John said, did I not tell you? I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. So this is the famous thing I've told you that my brother talks about a lot. John is always a great example of this. Shut your hole and know your role. <laughs> this, is, this is the biblical stay in your lane. John is fully aware of who he is and he's fully aware of who he's not. I think some of us are aware of who we are, but we better be just as good at knowing who we're not. And we are not God. Okay? We represent Jesus, but, but it's, it's a big drop over who we serve and us. The only thing good about any of us is Jesus. And John said, I understand my role. My role is to point people to Jesus. Guess who else has that same role? The church. So we're about to launch into the church age. John the Baptist says, I brought him down here to get it started. Once he ascended to heaven, I pass that on to y'all now. Y'all now become the John the Baptist for the second return. And that's who we are. So we need to shut our hole and, and know our role. Verse 29 he appreciates the recognition and the joy of being a friend of the bridegroom who is ready to meet his bride. Better known, he says, I'm glad I'm a friend of Jesus. I'm glad that I'm part of this. I, I feel blessed that I'm part of, of, of a friend of the bridegroom. But you know what he says? Let me tell you who, what this is all about. The bridegroom is who I'm here to show you. But now the bridegroom is going to be looking for you, his people, your bride. That's his bride, the church. So I'm bringing the bridegroom. Now you prepare the bride. Does that make sense? And, th and, that, and that, that's what he is saying. So verse 30, I love this, and this is the one that we need to take a lot away from, especially arrogant people like me. Verse 30, he must increase and I must decrease. He, 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 he must increase, I must decrease. Hey, man, a lot of people going over to Jesus now. Well, yeah, when he first got here, I sent some people to him. The rest of y'all need to go too. His popularity is getting more than yours. Well, it should because I was here to prepare the way for him. Now he must increase and I must decrease. And let me tell you this. God loves you and me enough. And he's done it to me. And I keep telling him, I want him to know loud and clear. I'll, I'll do whatever you call me to do. I'll serve you. I'll never reject you through no matter what you put me through. But I, Lord Jesus, show me some grace because I promise you what you've allowed me to go through. I got it. Now, if you need to break me down some more, I know you will because you love me enough to disassemble more. But, hey, when I, was, when I had to lean on you to tie my shoes, I got it. Because what he told me was just this right here. Hey, your problem's not that you're not strong enough. That is the problem. You're not weak enough. There's too much Rick and not enough Jesus. So now I'm going to decrease you a little bit and humble you. And then when you decrease, I'll increase. Are you willing to truly say to the Lord Jesus... I must decrease so you can increase. Do whatever you have to do to me for me to, to, to get this. You know why so many people are so afraid to pray that prayer? Because they're scared to death what God will do. 
If you say to the Lord, do whatever you have to do to get me where you want me to be, he will answer that prayer. I remember talking to a guy in my backyard one time, and he was saying, he just talking about how, how everything was going great. And I said, man, you seem like you're just great. He goes, yeah, man, it's, everything's just going wonderful. He said, I just prayed to the Lord, whatever you need to do, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Whatever you need to do to get me there, you do it. I said, well, man, it sounds like it's been incredible. He goes, oh, it's been awful. <laughs> it's been absolutely awful. I've been through a living hell. He said, but you know what? I'm where he wants me to be. I'm exactly where he wants me to be. And that's where my joy is. Now, getting here was not, was not a lot of fun. But, but where I am is better than where I was. And he loved me enough to, to put me through the grinder to get me here. You know, if he is the potter and we are the clay, you ever seen that potter work on that clay? <laughs> Whew. It, 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 and what does what the writer of Hebrews say? Is he's going to discipline those he loves, just like you discipline your children if you love them. If you love your children, what do you do? You discipline them. If you appease your children or patronize your children, they're just a hassle to you. You're trying to make the day better. How many times have you been sitting there, got it just like you like it, and one of your kids do something stupid? And you're just like, oh, man, I wish I didn't know about this if I just looked the other way right now. <laughs> and then if you're, if, if, you, if you're worth your salt as a parent, you know what you do? You get up. And you go and do what's hard and you don't want to do because you know it's the right thing to do and you love the kid enough to do it. Hey, parenting's hard if you do it right. Now, if you just let your kids kind of do whatever they want to do, you may have some easier days, but you're headed for a terrible future because it's going to come back. And sometimes you do it right and kids are just idiots just like we are and they make their own choices and do what they want to do. And then when they come back to you, like I've had happen to, to my, my kids before, it was amazing the first time one of mine came back to me and said, Dad, you're not going to believe what happened. I said, let me guess exactly what I said was going to happen. <laughs> he said, yes. He said, my goodness, do you have some kind of prophetic? You know, I said, no, there's certain life truths. And, of course, you know, I, I loved him enough when he came back and says, what do you think I need to do? I said, I don't know. You, you made this bed, so you're going to have to find a way to get out of it. But I'll tell you one thing. If you think I'm going to step up and handle it, you are incorrect. Because you're not going to learn unless you find a way out of this. And, uh, and, he, and it was, had something to do with a, a bad deal with some money. And he said, well, where am I going to find that money? I said, I don't know. I wish you the best, though. I hope you can find it. Because <laughs> I'm going to tell you where it's not going to come from. It's not going to come from me. Because you did exactly what I told you not to do. And what happened, happened. And when you find that money and pay that off, you'll never forget it. Just like I had to learn. I have found that when I go the other way, than what God told me to do. Every time I go back and whine about it, you know what my loving father says to me? You did it the way you want to do it. You didn't do it the way I told you to do it. Now, I've offered you grace, and I'm going to redeem you, and one day this is not going to matter, but on earth you made this bad. So do the best you can do with it. And I love you enough that I forgive you. But the earthly repercussions for what you did, you're going to have to work through. That's on you. You didn't do what I asked you to do. But he loves us enough to say that I'll still draw you to me. So are we willing to decrease so Jesus can increase following the example of John the Baptist? Verse 31, I love this. He came from heaven. He's talking about Jesus. John the Baptist said, I'm from earth. <laughs> hey, look, the one, this is once again, Jesus did not come from the earth. He came from heaven. I came from the earth. So certainly I've been given some authority and I got some things to say, but I'm just like y'all. I told you it's one of the things my wife, because John the Baptist is one of my heroes. There's not a lot said about him, but if Jesus Christ says that no man born of a woman is greater than John, that's big. 
course, then he said, what? But the least in the kingdom of heaven can be greater than John, meaning John didn't have access to the things I'm going to give you access to. But his obedience was unwavering. But there was a moment when he gets beheaded, and we've talked about this before, where Jesus doesn't go get him. And he sends some of his folks that are still with him to ask Jesus, I love, think about it. Hey, did John miss it when he said, Behold the Lamb of God, that's why the sin of the world? You know what he's saying. John's in jail and you're not going to get him. That's right. He must decrease so I can increase. And I remember the first time Sherry said, Well, we think about John the Baptist now. Sounds a little whiny right here. I said, Oh, it makes him even better. It's just an example. He was nothing but a man. That made him even more impressive. He's not some supernatural being. He's a man who was obedient even unto his death, but that showed his humanity that he sent his followers for one last, I hope I got it right. And Jesus said, you go back and tell John he got it exactly right. He did exactly what he's supposed to do. And his reward will be in heaven. And I promise you, John the Baptist in heaven is a really big deal because he did what he was told, but he was nothing but a man. He said, look, I came from the earth. He came from above, meaning everybody should go to him. I'm limited to what I can give you. But Jesus came from heaven. Yes, you should go to him. So he's also showing the resume. 32, he, talking about Jesus. Uh, I love that. He says that, that, that Jesus is coming to tell us what he has seen and heard from the Father. Look at the, verse 32. This is really good, talking about Jesus Christ. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. He said, look, you need to go hear him because guess what he's going to be sharing with you. He's going to share with you what he has seen and heard from the Father. Why? Because he and the Father have always been. Is there anybody that can tell you more about the Father than Jesus? I'm John the Baptist. I'm from the earth. I'm limited. I certainly am inspired by God. I certainly am in sync with God. But this is God. So go, and he says, and he's going to bear witness to this, and people are going to reject that testimony. But you need to go hear it. I love this. Verse 33, if we accept and receive this and act on it, we know by personal experience that it's true. Our Lord's teachings aren't to be studied intellectually, separated from everyday life. It is when we obey his word and put it into practice that we see its truth and experience its power. Man, I love that right there. If that, if, if that didn't fire somebody up in 33, let's look at that again. Let's read it. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. How, if somebody said, Rick, how do you know God's true? Because of the way it changed my life. How do you know to do what God said? If you go against God, how do you know it's bad? Because I saw what happened. How do you know to be in, in, under the authority of God is better? I, it's evident. I know it's true. Right? Don't you know it's true? Can't you see? And that's, and that's the problem. See, we've said this for four years, but you've got to get this. Here is John the Baptist talking about it. If you truly have experienced God, like 1 John uh, talks about in 1 John 2 and 1 John 3, if God's seed abides in you and it hadn't changed you, I'm going to go this far. It's impossible. That, that means that you've experienced something that looks like it's not true. And we're basically saying God's seed can somehow abide in my life, and He's so weak, He can't even change me. 
you read those verses in 1 John 2 and 3 and you'll realize that, 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 that the scriptures are screaming, he's so powerful, it's not an act of conduct, it's not legalism, it radically changed you because he really is that powerful. Hey, hey, yeah, I've really experienced God, but it just didn't really change me. Well, that don't say much about God then, does it? See, that's impossible. And so what he is saying is, you know who he is because if you, if you, if you experience the truth, you've experienced his power. Verse 34 and 35, the father has authorized the son to reject the son's witness is it, to rebel against the highest authority in the universe. Whew. Have you ever thought about it that way? So he says in 34, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains him. So if you, if you, here comes the father, the, the great I am says, I now come down. I send the second person of the Trinity. Here comes the son. He has all authority. I've given him on heaven and earth. He, if you've seen him, you've seen me. And here I come and you say, here's the witness of Jesus Christ. Here's what he's been teaching. Here's his three year ministry. Here's him going to the cross. Here's him coming out of the tomb. Here's him teaching for 40 more days. Here he is ascending to heaven. And you look at that and you say, I reject it. Then you know what the Bible says? You just rejected the highest authority in the universe. And now you'll get his wrath. You just thumbed your nose at the great I am. And then you'll see, the, then you'll see his wrath. See, He's working so hard to deliver people from hell, we send ourselves to hell. Verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. We might escape the wrath of God. And, 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 th and when he talks about wrath, did you know this is the very first time that John uses wrath? And he uses it six times in the book of Revelation, but this is the first time he uses it in the Gospel of John. The opposite of eternal life, he's saying, is eternal death. And as we talked about, God takes no joy in us choosing his wrath. We either trust him or we reject him. Some of y'all listen to this, watching this, and I hope nobody in this room, but it's possible. I know I did this, so I'm guilty of it before I was redeemed. And finally, I think some of you think there's some in between somewhere. Rick, is there somewhere that I could get in between trusting him or rejecting him? Just somewhere in between. Trusting him means I, there's going to be some major changes that are going to take place in my life. I'm not sure. I believe he's better than some of my sin. But I certainly don't want to experience his wrath. I remember the first that somebody said, when's the first time you started thinking about being saved? I said, when I started realizing the hell was real. Now, I make a joke a lot of times. It took me longer to get saved because I played football in Alabama, so I wasn't that afraid of hell to begin with. I kept asking, I know it's hot, but is it as humid as it is here? <laughs> but, the, um, so, but, but all kidding aside, once I realized, I love this. I heard Adrian Rogers of the day. I'm listening to his podcast now, which means Adrian lives eternally with the Lord, but he lives eternally here too in podcast. And he said the other day he was walking through the revelation about the judgment of God that was coming, which John talks, says wrath a lot in Revelation. And he said, and he acted like now he's the voice of the congregation. And he said this, and we've got to quit apologizing for this. He said, some of you right now are thinking, Pastor, are you just trying to scare us? You know what he said? Yes. Yes, I am. I mean, can you imagine me saying, hey, 
if we don't get out of here, a bus is going to come through this window and run over every one of us. And y'all said, Rick, are you trying to scare us? Yes, let's get out of here. <laughs> right? I mean, listen, his, his grace is real. His forgiveness is real. His sanctification and presence is real. His peace is real. His hope is real. But his wrath is equally as real. It really will happen. There's some urgency to all this. You know, I've, I've done this before. I mean, certainly been this place. I just wish I'd just go on in. Lord, I'm ready to go. Well, if it's all about me, sure. Man, I wish Jesus would come back today. Selfishly. Rick, what do you mean by that? Don't you want Jesus to come back today? Well, for me, yeah. But you know what? I got relationships in my life right now. And I got people I know. And I got people that I haven't got to yet. That if he comes back today, they're going to hell. Hey, they're going to hell. So you know what I say? I understand you, Lord. I understand what it's like for you to tarry a little bit. You see in Revelation where all the martyrs keep coming back. How much longer? Just a little bit longer. I love, you know, we're told in the Bible, you think that this looks like he's, his delay is he's not coming. His delay is grace. See, he's still got that faucet of grace in the church age pouring out. But at one point, that grace is going to be turned off and the wrath is going to come. When you talk about even the tribulation, when the son says, my father's going to shorten that to about seven years because if not, won't nobody survive it. It, it. It's really coming. It's really going to happen. There is some urgency to this. So we have to make that decision. Either we trust him, we repent, we submit to his authority, or we reject him. And when you reject the salvation, you reject the grace, then you're rejecting the grace, and you know what you're doing? You're turning to the wrath. One of, one of those two is going to happen. He's God. The decision you've got to decide now is, are you going to take this love that God had for you, for God so loved you, put your name in there, for God so loved you that he sent his only son, that if you would trust and obey him, that's the kind of belief we're talking about for salvation, to trust and obey, that he'll save you. But he so loved you that he sent his only son that if you reject him, then you're telling the greatest authority in the universe, I want your wrath. And he'll be true to deliver it. Either one. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time today. Thank you for the promises of your grace and the warning of your wrath. They're both equally as important. May we apply them both today. If you are listening to this or watching this and, and you're thinking today that the Holy Spirit has prompted you and you'd like to talk to somebody about salvation in Jesus Christ, maybe there's some things you don't understand. Maybe you just want to right now say, I repent of my sins. I, Lord, I, I, I don't reject you. I receive this gift that I just heard about. I, I, I thank you for coming to me when I couldn't come to you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for convicting me. I repent of all sin and I, I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart as best I can understand that you are Lord and I ask that you save me. Now, if you'd like to talk to somebody about that, just rick at rickandbubba.com. I'd be happy to talk to you. And for those of you that, that may be listening to this and you're making that decision for the first time or the first time you ever meant it, we celebrate with you. But we're here to walk with you and help you to grow in the faith, as we all have had to do and continue to do. 
And we pray all this under the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies, or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.